Hey, Young and Profiters, it's Hala. My favorite way to kick off the show is to share the reviews we're getting on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, and YouTube, to name a few. This week, I'm sharing a five-star review from Shay Ungo. Great mindset trigger. Love the layout of the podcast and the guests involved. Really gets the mind going, and I've learned a heap load. Love it. I'm so happy that you're getting value out of this podcast and that it's challenging you to think differently. Our guests provide so much value and information that I'm learning loads from every episode too. What have you learned from this podcast? Let us know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. And if leaving a review is not your thing, take a screenshot of you listening to this episode and tag me on Instagram at yapwithhala. I'd love to hear what you think about the show. You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast, a place where you can listen, learn, and profit. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Hala Taha, and on Young and Profiting Podcast, we investigate a new topic each week and interview some of the brightest minds in the world. My goal is to turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your everyday life, no matter your age, profession, or industry. There's no fluff on this podcast, and that's on purpose. I'm here to uncover value from my guests by doing the proper research and asking the right questions. If you're new to the show, we've chatted with the likes of ex-FBI agents, real estate moguls, self-made billionaires, CEOs, and best-selling authors. Our subject matter ranges from enhancing productivity, how to gain influence, the art of entrepreneurship, and more. If you're smart and like to continually improve yourself, hit the subscribe button because you'll love it here at Young and Profiting Podcast. Today on the show, we're chatting with Brian Scudamore, a serial entrepreneur and author. Brian Scudamore has always taken the road less traveled. At just 19 years old, he pioneered the industry of professional junk removal with 1-800-GOT-JUNK, turning a chore people avoid into an exceptional customer service experience. Then he scaled that success into two more home service brands, Wow One Day Painting and Shack Shine. Brian learned the ins and outs of business by running his own and believes that anyone with a fire in their gut and a vision for doing something incredible with their future can do the same. His philosophy, WTF, willing to fail, stems from his belief in the power of dreaming big, taking risks, and learning from mistakes. Through franchising, he's given thousands of aspiring entrepreneurs the chance to live their dreams of business ownership. Tune into this episode to find out how Brian scaled 1-800-GOT-JUNK from a $700 truck to a business that generates hundreds of millions of dollars each year and operates in every major metropolitan city in the U.S. We'll also get an understanding of how you can tell if a business is ripe for franchising, and we'll get into Brian's tips for hiring and maintaining a great company culture. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Young and Profiting Podcast. Here with me is Brian Scudamore. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Hala. Happy to be here. Yeah. So, Brian, I'm really excited for this conversation. I think you have such an interesting story. You know, we do so much research here at Young and Profiting Podcast, and I was so impressed with everything you've been able to pull off. To introduce you you to my listeners, you're a serial entrepreneur. You're the CEO of O2E, which is a parent company of multiple multi-million dollar home service 
brands like 1-800-GOT-JUNK, WOW One Day Painting, and Shack Shine. You're the author of the best-selling book, uh, WTF, Willing to <laughs> Fail, <laughs> How Failure Can Be Your Key to Success. And at just 19 years old, you pioneered the industry of professional junk removal with 1-800-GOT-JUNK. So that's like extremely young to have started a business. I believe you started it when you were 19 years old. Most people fail three or four times before they you know, hit their mark with the right business, but you mm-hmm. hit it out the gate. Um, you've been doing this for over 30 years. You've scaled it to over $200 million in revenue. I've got so much to pick your brain about uh, awesome. in regards to, yeah, your company, your business model, your organizational structure, your hiring process. But you have a really interesting come-up story, and I think it's absolutely amazing. I'd like to start with that first. From my understanding, the only degree you finished was kindergarten. Uh, you didn't finish high school. You didn't finish college. No. What were you like as a child? What was your childhood like? And how were you as a student? I was not a great student. Now, I am a student of life. I've always loved to learn. If you interviewed my parents, they would say Brian was the most curious kid, always asking questions. In fact, I, I kind of drove them nuts. And <laughs> I'm getting paid back by, uh, I've got three kids and my youngest, he asked me questions nonstop. So I, I get it. But that's how we learn. That's how I learn. I was never good with books. I was never good in school. Kindergarten, I wouldn't say I got a degree, but a diploma. And that's the only (laughs) one I have. I've gone to 14 schools from kindergarten through to college or university. And what I was like as a student was very ADD. I was the class clown. I dropped out of school because I just found it challenging and not fun. But again, I want to emphasize, I've always loved to learn. So my way of learning is conversations like this. I will learn tons out of this podcast because you'll ask me great questions that get me reflecting on my success, my failures, the journey. I love learning. I'm constantly asking people how they do what they do, what their passions are. And if I look at what motivates me and drives me is I love being the coach. I love being the person that inspires possibilities in others, especially if those people like me were not great in the, the school system. Yeah, I love that. You know, I think so many of my listeners are contemplating like dropping out of school and don't know if, you know, traditional schooling is the right thing for them. And it's great to have an example like you and and so many other entrepreneurs that can do it without necessarily schooling. And it's more Mm -hmm. of like the experience. And like you said, the one-on-one conversations, the mentoring, which kind of helped you get to where you are today. So Mm -hmm. I heard that you convinced a college to let you into school and that you didn't finish high school and you essentially convinced a college to admit you without having that high school degree. It's funny because I really relate to that. I did terrible in my undergrad. And I remember I was begging my the MBA director of my alma mater to let me into the MBA program. I ended up getting like a 4.0 and doing great. Nice. But like, I also did the same thing where I was just like, you know, just took it into my own hands. Can you talk about making your own luck? And if you have any other examples of how you've made your own luck and didn't take no for an answer. Yeah. So I believe that people need to work at an opportunity that they see for themselves. If you've got the spark and you say, okay, here's my opportunity, which at the time was getting into school, was getting into college. And why I saw that opportunity or wanted that was all my friends were going. I was the only one who didn't graduate from 12th grade. And I said, you know, I'm one course short from graduating. I got to figure this out. Mm -hmm. And you don't often get second chances. So I wasn't going to go back and complete another year just to get that one course. And I didn't want to miss out with my friends. 
So I went to the admissions office of the college and had three different conversations with them, pretty much begging uh, them to let me in. I said, listen, I'm smart enough. I get it. I miss this one class, but I can do this. And I wrote them a letter in the end that they liked and appreciated. And they said, this guy's got tenacity. Let's give him a shot. Now, little did they know that years later, I would not actually finish that degree as well and drop <laughs> out. But I guess they liked me and they liked my perseverance and, and off I went. Now, ironically, while I talked my way into university, I had to find a way to pay for it. My father is a liver transplant surgeon. He certainly came from very humble beginnings. But at that stage, when I was going to college, I'm sure he could have paid for it, but chose not to. He said, Brian's got to learn a lesson here. He has not finished high school. It's not going to be a good return on investment. If he really wants to go, he can pay for it. And mm -hmm. so I was in a McDonald's drive through of all places, saw this beat up old pickup truck with plywood side panels built up on the box. And I looked at the truck and said, that's my ticket to pay for college. I talked myself in. I now found the money by creating or would have the money by creating this business, which at the time was called the Rubbish Boys. Mm -hmm. It was just me. I had a vision for something bigger. And off I went hauling junk. And within uh, a couple of weeks, the business paid for itself. And by the end of the summer, I had enough money for, for college. I love that. Yeah, I know about that story. And I know you only paid $700 for your first truck, which I is did. such a little investment. And so you probably ended up paying that back like very shortly after. What's your perspective on getting loans and taking on debt when running a business? Like, did you purposefully not take on any debt and kind of build it really organically just based on your cash flow? Or was that just like an accident? No, it's all the money I had was $1,000 in the bank. And so enough to buy a pickup truck. I had had uh, $1,300 in repairs within a couple of weeks. So <laughs> while I did recoup the investment, I also then had more money flowing out of the bank account uh, to, to fix my truck. But I'm a believer that if you're going to get out and start a business, start within your means. If you've got 100 grand in the bank and you think you can make a business work and you don't mind putting your life's savings on the line, great. Your mm -hmm. 401k, whatever you need to do, but don't overextend yourself. I, I don't love the concept of people getting out there and raising money, mm -hmm. A, because it's not their money, and B, because you need to understand the value of really being connected to every penny that you're spending and, and spend it frugally so that you can build out the business in a sustainable way. Yeah. When people look at any of our franchises, so I know you mentioned my parent company I started called O2E Brands. Mm -hmm. O2E stands for ordinary to exceptional. We took first the junk removal business, a very ordinary space, and made it a very exceptional professionally run business through service and through finding the right people. Mm -hmm. We're doing that in window washing with Shack Shine. We're doing it in the painting space with Wow One Day Painting. When franchise partners come to us and say, hey, Brian, I want the proven recipe. I don't want to reinvent how to grow a business. I want to learn from you, your team, your franchise partners, but I don't have a lot of money. We like that. We know people need enough money to invest in a franchise fee and to grow their business. But we want people that come that go, listen, I've got about $25,000 in cash. We can figure out how to help them get the rest. Mm -hmm. But they're young, they're hungry, they're ready to grow something. That's more important than having a whole stack of cash. 
Yeah, I totally agree. It's so important to know how to be resourceful to, like you said, appreciate every single penny, know where it's going, be mm-hmm. frugal. I definitely agree. I was looking at your your LinkedIn this morning. And uh, by the way, kudos to you for, I know I had technological problems in my office yesterday and we couldn't make this work and we had to rebook to today. So my fault, oh, no but you, you didn't ask you anything on LinkedIn. And I thought, you know, great way to go. Hey, you've got a free block. What are you going to do to work it to grow things? And I noticed that your LinkedIn, you know, for six months, you were at 200,000, I think, in followers. And now you're at 53,000. Clearly, you understand the value of hard work to build something. And it takes time. And it takes dedication and commitment. And it's the same thing, whether you're growing a following or whether you're growing a business and spending money, you've got to do it organically, because then you can appreciate the value of how hard it is to get every dollar or every follower. So just wanted to give you a shout out. Oh, thank you so much, Brian. That's so sweet. I really appreciate that. And coming from you, like I can't even, you know, thank you so much. It's so (laughs) nice. I want to talk about how you have sort of like copied other businesses and how you decide if a business is ready to scale. So you were in that McDonald's. You saw a gritty pickup truck with like a sign on it for junk removal. Then you had the big idea, you know, I'm going to scale this. I'm going to get a bigger truck. I'm going to do it better. I'm going to do better guerrilla marketing and I'm going to scale this. And it worked. You know, you're in every metropolitan city in the U.S. right now. You're obviously huge. And I think you did something similar with One Day Painting where you you saw somebody who did it right and you were like, I can help you make the scale. So can you give us a story of how you copied again? Maybe copy is not the right word, but how you kind of took someone's business idea and helped them scale or saw the potential in a business that could scale. And what do you look for in a business that could potentially scale? Tell us the story about One Day Painting because I think it's really interesting. Yeah, lots of great questions there. So what I did is I, I think I've got an ability to see opportunity and to look at things differently. So when I saw Mark's hauling that truck in the McDonald's drive through it was, hey, there's an idea to pay for college. And yes, I went out and copied the model and I bought a truck and started hauling junk exactly like Mark did. But when I got attuned to an opportunity, the bigger idea, as you said, was how can I be the FedEx of junk removal? Clean, shiny trucks, friendly, uniform drivers, on-time service, upfront rates, taking the industry to a level that had never been seen. And that bar to me was exceptional. So again, my company, Ordinary to Exceptional, Mm -hmm. O2E Brands. I said, I'm going to make this exceptional and we're going to scale a business where we have people come in who are investors, who are owners and partners, franchise owners who will build the model out in their city. Paul Guy, who was the first franchise owner, built a million-dollar business in his first full calendar year. Today, he's got about $60 million worth of revenue across his franchise territories. Mm. So I then said, what is the opportunity in a new space? If I I was in 1-800-GOT-JUNK for 22 years at this point when I started to look for another opportunity, and it was serendipitous. It sort of just hit me, but I needed to get my house painted. I didn't want the disruption of someone comes in your house and it takes two weeks and they practically move in and become (laughs) part of the family and all that sort of stuff. And so I I got some estimates. I had three different people that I found through Facebook friends who said, here's companies I would recommend. The first two came in and smelled a cigarette smoke, showed up late, didn't give me confidence that they were going to do the job well or, or quickly. But the third person impressed me. Jim comes into my front door. He's uniformed. He's got the shiny van outside. His company was called One Day Painting. And he said, listen, Brian, 
prices, same as everyone else. I've done this for 22 years. My quality's the same or better than everyone else. But what got me excited, the kicker, was that he said, when we agree on painting day, I will give you back your home freshly painted and transformed at the end of the day. Mm. And I said, how is that even possible? How do you paint a home in a day? It's not possible. But I signed up and I said, great, let's do this. I liked Jim. And uh, sure enough, end of the painting day, 6.30 p.m., I come home, moldings, trim, the walls. One wall needed three coats because of the dark color that was there. He painted my entire house. And I was, I was so wowed that I said, I got to get in on this. I can help you grow. I acquired the company and we renamed it Wow One Day Painting because that's the feeling I felt. And I could see other customers across North America feeling that same thing. Mm-hmm. And so what I guess what was different about what we would do things is this system, this model of people think you can't paint a home in a day, that you're compromising quality, you're rushing. Absolutely not. Everyone knows you can paint one room with one person in a day. If it's a big room, maybe you need two people. Mm-hmm. If you've got 10 rooms, then you need 10 people. It's a numbers game. Nobody's bumping into each other. It's just a coordinated effort that gets this job done without disruption and people walk out saying, wow. And so uh, when we look for franchise partners to then take our system and model and grow it, we're not looking for people to be painters. We're looking for people that see the opportunity like our early day franchise partners with 1-800-GOT-JUNK who say, I want to build and grow a team. I want to build an empire in my city and I want to build some wealth and freedom for myself. Young and profiters, they may call me the podcast princess, but I'm also the LinkedIn queen. I've been a LinkedIn influencer for six years now and I teach one of the most popular courses about LinkedIn. And I love to teach sales on LinkedIn because when it comes to B2B sales, LinkedIn has got that on lock. LinkedIn is where all the decision makers are hanging out. There are 180 million senior level decision makers on LinkedIn and 10 million C-suite decision makers. These people are on LinkedIn and they're in the mode to buy. They're using LinkedIn for their buying journey to research vendors or sales reps that they might work with to look up how to solve their problems, to learn from industry thought leaders. They are in the mode to buy, whereas on other platforms, they're in the mode to be entertained. You wanna get them in the right mindset. You wanna cut through the noise with LinkedIn ads. In fact, 79% of B2B marketers rate LinkedIn as their top channel for paid media. And LinkedIn has the best targeting because they've got all these different inputs. People are putting their resume basically up on there. And so there's so many keywords that They can use to target the right decision makers so they can hear about how you solve their problems. And I've got a special gift for all you young and profiters who want to try LinkedIn ads. You can get $100 credit. LinkedIn was super generous. If you want to make B2B marketing everything it can be and get $100 credit on your next campaign, go to linkedin.com slash yap, Y-A-P. Again, if you want to claim your credit, go to linkedin.com slash yap terms and conditions apply. So basically like you really liked his system, you really liked his attitude and you thought like this is a person that can grow a business. That's really cool. Well, I loved his idea of doing it differently. So you look at businesses that come in that say we're going to transform a space. Mm-hmm. One we're all familiar with, Netflix. You didn't need to go to the video store anymore and go get that tape and bring it home and return it and have late fees. They said, listen, we're going to stream movies and look what they've become today. It's taking a model and saying, how do you reinvent an age-old space like painting? I mean, even during the, the pandemic that we're in today, people will forever need painting, no matter what's going on. 
we're trying to find innovative new ways to get in there. Virtual estimates. We're doing mm-hmm. estimates where someone walks around with their iPhone on FaceTime or Zoom showing us their home and we're able to give them an estimate. We're finding unique ways to deal with old problems and uh, how to solve them, which is a big challenge and it's something I enjoy being being a part of. Yeah. That's really interesting. I want to touch on a point that you briefly mentioned. So 1-800-JUNK used to be called Rubbish Boys. Your painting company also had a different name in the beginning. So what do you think about when you're naming your brands? What are the important elements to consider? Yeah, so I think it's naming the brands and what they look like. So Mm -hmm. let me start with Shackshine as an example, and then I'm going to tell you a 1-800-GOT-JUNK story if I can. So Shackshine, similar type of situation as wow one day painting how did i find the business i was looking to get my gutters cleaned out i found a company it was difficult to find someone but a friend introduced me to someone that was building this business called shackshine i loved the business saw the opportunity to also scale and grow it and i like the name the tongue-in-cheek sort of shackshine you know your home isn't really a shack especially some of the ones that we wash windows for (laughs) but i didn't like the look and feel of the design of the logo And so I said to Dave, who started the business, I said, if we were to partner together or acquire your business, I'd want to redesign the look and feel of your entire brand. Are you open to that? He said, yeah, I think I'd be open to it. And I don't know if he really was. We then went off and hired a designer before buying the company. Noel Fox comes in and completely redesigned and revamped the brand. I presented it to Dave and Dave's like, man, we are doing a deal. He bought into how we repositioned the look and feel of his brand. So words and visuals are everything. How we represent ourselves to the world is incredibly important and it needs to be consistent. So again, the importance of branding, I'll I'll tell you a quick 1-800-GOT-JUNK story. We went from the Rubbish Boys to, I want to expand out of Vancouver where I started the business. Mm -hmm. I was born in the United States. I wanted to expand into the United States. And I thought the word rubbish was more of a British Canadian term. Yeah, We had to come up with something different. And so our phone number at the time was 738-JUNK. And I said, what could we use in the United States as an 800 number? And we played on this old ad campaign called the Got Milk campaign that was in the 90s. We said, ah, 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And I got so lit up and excited about this idea I immediately called the phone number and it wasn't available. And so I'm just like, oh, I got to figure out how to get that phone number. So I started making phone call after phone call to AT&T, the phone company, trying to find out who owned the number. And I was persistent as could be. While not just making phone calls, I hired a designer to design the logo exactly as we have 1-800-GOT-JUNK today as part of solidifying the vision that I'm going to get this phone number. I'm going to figure this out. So at the end of the day, the person that owned the phone number was the Department of Transportation in Idaho. Government owned my number. Oh my gosh, I'm never going to get this. (laughs) And so I took a a route where I tried to sort of solve things and I went to the the phone room. I called up and I asked for their phone room. And sure enough, government has someone running their phones. And Michael in the phone room after three calls finally said, you can have the number. It's important. I don't know why you want it, but take it. And uh, I called him a couple of days later after all the forms were signed with AT&T to thank him. He was no longer with the company. I have no idea what happened, but I had my number. I got it for free. And it was sheer determination that paved the way for the the starting of the 1-800-GOT-JUNK brand that we built today. 
That's amazing. I love that story. And it's just another example of how you took things in your own hands and you made your own Mm -hmm. luck. You wanted Mm -hmm. it. You went out and got it. You made the phone calls. A lot of people probably thought you were crazy. Like you're never going to be able to do this. You're never going to get it. But Mm -hmm. you just used your charm and, and your grit and did it. So it's so many great lessons to learn from that. Yeah. If you really want something bad enough and you can see the picture in your mind of pure possibility of what it could look like, you figure it out and you stick with the program. Most people would have given up after a couple of phone calls trying to get the number. Yeah. I didn't give up till I got it, which was 60 phone calls. Wow. That's amazing. It's such a easy to remember name. Everybody knows 1-800-GOT-JUNK. It's like 1-800-CONTACTS. It's, it's, you know, up there with 1-800-FLOWERS. Sure. It's huge. So congrats. Let's go back to 1997. So you were still the Rubbish Boys at this time. And mm-hmm. you hit $1 million in revenue. And at that point, you were actually, you were doing well. I mean, a $1 million business is not too mm-hmm. shabby, but sure. um, you were misaligned with your team. And you ended mm-hmm. up firing nine out of 10 employees, from my understanding. Why did that happen? Why do you think that things kind of got to that level where you felt like you needed to mm-hmm. get rid of your whole team? Mm-hmm. How did you decide to do that? And what did you do to build your company back up after that? Yeah, it was one of the darkest days of my uh, junk removal career, if you will. It was five years into the business. It was 1994. We were a half a million in revenue. And the way I like to explain it is everyone can relate to the one bad apple spoils the whole bunch saying. And I probably had, I had a team of 11 and I had nine bad apples. I didn't know what else to do. I'd lost hope in my business. I wasn't having fun any longer. I wasn't enjoying the people I worked with. Mm. Now, I was the only one to blame. I'm the one that hired them. So I sat them down at a morning meeting, all 11 people, and I started with two words. I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've let you down, failed you, haven't given you the love and support that you needed to be successful. Maybe I didn't even bring the right people into my organization. Mm -hmm. But the only way I knew to solve things was to start again, wipe the slate clean, and get rid of my entire team. They didn't love it, but I did it with a heart. I treated them fairly. I was transparent and honest, and I took it as a big learning moment for me. So Mm -hmm. as the leader, the lesson for me over the next six months as I was rebuilding the business was it's all about people, finding the right people and treating them right. Now, you mentioned my book, WTF, Willing to Fail. This was a WTF moment if I've ever seen one. It sucked trying to rebuild the business, trying to hire people again, but it gave me a fresh start and opportunity to find nothing but happy, smiley, optimistic people. Our hiring practice today, the number one thing we look for, happy people. Mm. The second I get onto your podcast yesterday when we said hello, I mean, you're smiley, you're energetic. It's awesome, right? Those are the people I want in my world as my friends and connections and so on. And so I went out on a, on a path of chasing down happy, optimistic people. We hire on attitude, we train on skill, and we build something bigger and, and better together. So while it was a dark day, a dark six months of rebuilding, I'm sure glad I didn't have to take the thousands of employees we have now and make that kind of change. And uh, it really taught me something. Yeah, I love it. I heard you say something on another podcast that you're slow to hire, quick to fire. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I love that. I think that's so smart, you know, like taking your time, making sure you actually know someone, making sure that you enjoy spending their time, that you like their energy because energy is contagious, right? Absolutely. And and when I say slow to hire, quick to fire, it's not like, up, oh, someone's made a mistake. Boom, you're out of here. You're fired. You know, <laughs> it is very much, we still take our time to do 
any sort of changes right and make sure we've given someone a chance to correct, but we also don't waste our time. There's nothing worse than in a manager or a leader's life bringing someone into the company when you know it's not going to work, cut them loose, free them up to another opportunity, mm-hmm. help them find another opportunity. We let someone go recently. It just wasn't the right fit, but I did believe they'd be the right fit somewhere. And I was helping coach that person through uh, a new opportunity. They're mm-hmm. good people. Let's help them. But it's not always meant to be and make sure you make that decision sooner rather than later. Yeah. Talk to us about the importance of customer focus, because I think that one of the reasons why you actually let these people go is because you felt like they weren't customer centric. You felt Mm -hmm. like they were misaligned with your value proposition to your clients, which is like, Mm -hmm. you know, go above and beyond, make them super Mm -hmm. happy, give them, you know, great service. Tell us about the importance of that to you in, in all of your businesses and how you implement that. Well, I think as someone who's a consumer myself, I enjoy when people treat me in a friendly, happy manner. Mm. I enjoy when people do what they say they will do, which is rare in this world of business. There's so many experiences we have where a promise was made and it wasn't delivered. So some of my favorite companies, FedEx, anytime I've ever had to courier something anywhere in the world, I mean, it just, it does show up on time and it's amazing. Their slogan in the early days was the world on time and they deliver on that promise. Mm. Starbucks. The drinks are are done right. People are friendly. If they make a mistake, they give you a free drink voucher for next time. They just do the little things to treat you in a way that you walk in and you've given them the customized drink of choice that nobody else on the planet drinks. Just you've got that recipe, but -hmm. somehow they remember it the next time you come in and they treat you by name. I think what a business does the little things right, that helps like the examples I've given of those brands growing and dominating the world. And so The thing that motivates me the most in the world besides my family is building businesses with amazing people that want to be a part of something, that want to join our movement of building great businesses, but they have to understand that platform of exceptional customer service. That's Mm -hmm. the bar. When someone reaches out to me as a CEO and says, hey, there was a mistake, something went wrong. The first thing we do is we own it. We take responsibility for that mistake. And then we say, how do we learn so this doesn't happen again? Humans make mistakes. It happens. But it's how you care about the customer. And if you can truly care, that's how things grow and scale. And the last thing I'll say is a philosophy we have, which has been something we're proud of, and I think something that's been very impactful in our growth. People will often say the customer is always right, that the customer is the most important. I disagree. I think the people, your employees are the most important. So on a hierarchy, Mm -hmm. I believe take care of your people. They will then take care of the customer. And if you take care of the customer, they will then take care of the brand, both growth of profits and revenue. And so the most important person in our entire organization, it's people, finding the right people and treating them right. When they get it and they've been treated right, they will treat the customer with love and respect. Young and profiters, as you may know, I launched my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass a little bit over a year ago. It was my first course. And so far, I've generated well over $500,000. And the best part is, I didn't have to figure out how to set up my mastermind subscriptions, how to do abandoned cart targeting, and all of that tech geeky stuff. I just left that all to Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And if you're in that, I need to sell more with less stage, 
Shopify magic is your AI superpowered sidekick ready to whip up captivating content that converts. And it doesn't matter if you're selling digital products or vegan cosmetics. Shopify helps you sell anything, anywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Stop those online window shoppers in their tracks and turn them into loyal customers with the internet's best converting checkout. I'm talking 36% better on average compared to the other options out there. It's no wonder Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, including huge global brands like Allbirds and Thrive Cosmetics. It took me a day to set up my Shopify store. I set up chat, took two minutes, and I was done. One month from thinking of the idea to implementation, a year later, I've made half a million dollars on the idea. That's what it takes in 2024, just a good idea. And then utilizing a platform like Shopify that can help you make it a reality. There is no excuse these days. If you've got a good business idea and you think you'll be a good entrepreneur, you don't have to wait any longer. You don't have to be super techie. And you never have to worry about figuring it out on your own. Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash profiting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash profiting. Yeah, I think that's great guidance. And I think that's principles that everybody should follow. You mentioned it a few times that as you were trying to grow your business, you really envisioned it as like the FedEx of junk removal. Mm -hmm. And another thing that I heard you say before is that you really wanted to get on the Oprah Winfrey show as well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so like you did a lot of like visionary things where like you put something out in the universe and I'm not sure like what your practice was, if you wrote it down, if you had a vision board, Mm -hmm. what it was, but you basically put these things things out there like I do this all the time so I want to be the female Tim Ferriss and I keep saying it out loud and I keep saying it everywhere because I want it to happen right Mm. so tell us about how you kind of set big hairy audacious goals and what you do to kind of make sure that you subconsciously take the actions to make that happen yeah so I discovered a process I, I didn't create this others use the same type of process but I stumbled into it I call it the painted picture so that would be my language for this 1997, eight years into my business, I was a million in revenue, which was exciting. I had the right people now in my business, but I just felt stuck. I felt like it's junk removal. I'm a college dropout. I'm a high school dropout. Can I build this business? Do I want to? What's the potential? So I went away for uh, a retreat and I wanted to be creative and solve this problem and just reflect. So I went to my parents' little cabin. It was a tiny little beat up place on Bowen Island, about an hour from Vancouver. And it was a nice, sunny summer day in September. And I sat out on their dock and I was in a doom loop. And I was like depressed and just feeling bad about myself and my business. And I said, what if I can imagine just pure possibility? Mm. Forget all the negativity. What if I could build something great and amazing? What could that look like? So I took a sheet of paper and I started to write down not what I hoped to build, but what I was going to build in five years' time by the end of 2003. So I started with the date, December 31st, 2003, Brian's painted picture of 1-800-GOT-JUNK. I said we'd be the FedEx of junk removal because I had that bar of we had ugly, beat-up old, dirty trucks. But what if we could have clean, shiny, well-branded trucks like FedEx? Mm. I said we'd be on the Oprah Winfrey show. First of all, I loved (laughs) her as an entrepreneur and as a leader and and an amazing woman. And I thought I'd love to meet her. But 
wow, imagine if she helped propel our brand into the universe. Yeah. And I imagined all these things of our culture, how we treated people and the franchise owners and the millionaires we would build and support in this world. And so I took that painted picture. And after I wrote it, I went from pure doom to this is unbelievable. I can see this. I can feel it. And I, you know, I get goosebumps when I even retell the story. I took this sheet of paper, my painted picture, and I brought it to groups of people, my friends, family, employees, different people. And I, I shared the painted picture and I said, what, what do you think? I was all excited. And I had two sets of people. One group said, gee, Brian, top 30 metros in North America, getting on Oprah, being the FedEx of junk removal. I, I think you're smoking some hope dope like this. This isn't going to happen. And then I had the other group that said, wow, this is unbelievable. How can I be a part of it? So I actually had employees leave because they didn't think that I was grounded in reality and that we were going to accomplish what we set out to accomplish. But we did. Every mm -hmm. single thing in that painted picture, 96% of it, by the end of 2003, we hit the top 30 metros in North America. We were the FedEx of junk removal. Nobody was near our size. And I got on the Oprah Winfrey show and got to give her a big hug and had four and a half minutes of fame on national television in front of wow. 35 million people. So my process is dream it, see it in your mind. Don't let doubt get in the way. You say you want to be the female version of Tim Ferriss. I mean, yeah. hey, that's part of it is just talking about it and this will happen. You'll find somebody. Have you met Tim Ferriss? No, I'd love to, but not so yet. You're, you're going to have somebody who goes and any of the audience that's listening, if you know Tim Ferriss, you got to introduce this amazing business leader and woman to Tim. So let's make it happen. But part of it's just throwing it out to the universe. So I believe we help each other as entrepreneurs. So from a painted picture perspective, if I can ever help anyone that's out there and you want to see my vision that I've just talked about, go on to LinkedIn, follow me or go to Instagram, wherever you need to do and send me a note saying painted picture. And uh, someone from my team will send you a copy of our painted picture and an article I wrote that goes into more depth of, of how to create one. But huge fan of vision. Every successful leader and person in this world has had a clear picture, not how to get there, but a clear picture of what there looks like. Totally. I think it's so important to, like you said, have a clear vision, say it out loud. I also think it keeps you accountable. I purposely say I'm going to be the female version of Tim Ferriss because I feel like if I say it out loud, I hold myself accountable to all my listeners, all my fans for me to mm. accomplish, you know, as big of things as he does. So I totally. love that. I love the way that you do your, your vision board with that wall and painting. That's amazing. Let's talk about the interplay between being a visionary and an implementer at your company. I know that mm. you actually don't do your operations, from my understanding. You hire outside COOs for your brands and presidents. Mm -hmm. So why did you decide to do that? And how did you decide to do that? And why do you do mm -hmm. that? I wore every hat in my company up till a million in revenue, maybe even up to a couple of million. And then I started to realize there's things I hated to do. There's things I wasn't good at. And as the owner of the company, it doesn't mean that you're the best at everything. Usually mm -hmm. far from it. And so I was in my own way. And I realized in about 2008, when I had a COO in the business that wasn't the right fit any longer, and I got that person out of the business after mm -hmm. 14 months, my franchise, it just wasn't the right fit. My franchise owners started to say, Brian, what are you doing here? You just got rid of a COO. You're not the guy to take it to the next level. We're here because of your vision, but you can't execute us mm -hmm. out of this situation. And so I got out there and I said, okay, what am I good at? I made a list. What am I great at? What do I love to do in a business? On the other side, 
What are all the things I'm bad at that a business still needs or that I don't like to do? And I went and found someone that was great at these things. And so I hired Eric Church after interviewing 75 COO candidates. I found someone who was the right leader for me. He's mm-hmm. been around eight years. I sure as heck hope he'll be around forever. <laughs> we took the company from $100 million to over $400 million in revenue together. And uh, it's super exciting when you've got the right fit. So I think businesses often have a visionary and an implementer. I'm not great at execution. I've done it, but it's not my deal I want to be the idea person. I want to look for new brands. I want to find great franchise partners to build something bigger and better together with. If you focus on what you love to do and what you're best at, stay in that niche. That's how you really grow and scale an awesome business. Yeah. I think it's so hard for people when they're first starting out with their business. You don't have a lot of resources, so you're wearing a lot of hats. And I think it's really hard to let go. But I think it's, like you said, it's super important. Once you start to actually make money and you can afford to hire experts and outsource, Mm -hmm. you really got to think about, like, what is your core competency? Like, what am I really good at? What can nobody do better than me? Mm -hmm. And then what do, like, is a time suck? What makes me feel drained after I do it? What am I not that great at that somebody else probably would love to do and would be passionate about? And, and kind of mm-hmm. make sure that you you hire the right people. That's how you scale, like you said. So totally. I think that's great guidance. I want to talk about franchising. I know we don't have that much time left, but I do want to sure. pick your brain. Tell us about the franchising model, why you chose that direction instead of going just being like a corporation, and what the important elements of a franchising model are. And mm. also, I've heard you say in the past that like everybody can implement principles from franchising in their business, no matter if they're a franchising business or not. And so I think that's also yeah. important for people to kind of get like the main principles and why it's mm. helpful. So two things I love about franchising. So I grew up with McDonald's being everywhere and I had admired Ray Kroc's business model. He took the McDonald's brothers and said, here, I can systematize everything with you and we can scale this incredible brand together. What I loved about what Ray Kroc did is he brought owners into his business. He said, listen, you want to build something, you want to build something in this town or this city, I've got the proven recipe. And they matched up the proven recipe and the systems with the people. The ability to have someone who's got skin in the game and watch them grow and develop beyond their wildest dreams, that's what I love about franchising. I also love the fact that franchising is about systems. What's the best practice on how you do everything? So with 1-800-GOT-JUNK, I read a book called The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber, highly recommended to anyone. I looked at that book and I said, okay, he says, build your business out like a franchise. Even if you don't anticipate, you'll choose that model, have all the best practices documented. So I said, how do we answer the phone? How do we price jobs? How do we market the business when things are slow? Everything had a one-page best practice of here's exactly how we do things. It started, the business started to look, feel, and act so much like a franchise and the consistency and the branding and the look and feel and personality of of our people. So we then said, okay, let's look at the franchise model. And Oprah and others got, we got great publicity and that franchise engine started to roar Mm -hmm. and uh, people started to come to us. And we said, what we offer is this proven recipe. Many entrepreneurs want to figure things out from scratch. That's part of what drove me is I want to invent things. A lot of people want to make money and have freedom and lifestyle. They want to control their own destiny. They want a proven recipe. They don't want to waste time figuring it out. Mm -hmm. So again, to your unique ability and and do what you love best, taking a recipe and executing is amazing. Some people want to bake a cake and they want to 
proven recipe and boom, off they go. Some people want to invent different recipes and figure out, you know, what kind of cake could I invent? Understand who you are and then figure out what type of business is it a franchise? Is it a corporate startup or whatever you might be interested in? I love your example of how you guys created all these best practice one sheets based on all your little processes, big and small. Mm -hmm. That really inspires me. I have three new interns, so they have a new assignment (laughs) to uh, look at all the different areas of the podcast and our agency and come up with processes. Because it's so important to train new team members and to just like have efficiencies. And like you said, Mm -hmm. that's the only way you can really scale. Very cool stuff. Awesome. Thank you. So my last question to all of my guests on the show is, what is your secret to profiting in life? I think it's grow where you're planted. I heard that from Vern Harnish, a mentor of mine. And Vern said, you know, listen, like you can, entrepreneurs get this, you introduced me as a serial entrepreneur, which I don't want people to think I'm jumping around from business to business. I have three brands. I also have three wonderful kids. You stay in this situation where you go, these are all home services. They are all taking ordinary fragmented businesses and making them exceptional by sticking to our knitting and staying planted in what we can do best. That's what I want to own. I think one of my secret formulas has been to not be driven by money. Mm. I like the freedom that money can provide of a cabin I've got here in Whistler that I love to ski with my family, but I'm not a fancy cars, fancy boats, have all the toys type person. I'm driven by building things with amazing people and having fun experiences together. And the less I became driven by money, the more the money just started flowing to a point where you're like, what do we do with all this? Let's (laughs) invest, let's grow, let's provide amazing opportunities. So I think those would be what I'd leave you with is understand what you're best at and grow where you're planted and then understand what really motivates you. It's not for me, the money. It's the watching entrepreneurs live the dream of business ownership. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning. Yeah, that sounds so fulfilling. I think those are great gems to take away. Where can our listeners go to learn more about you and everything that you do? Google. It's got everything, right? So, uh, (laughs) you know, they can search my name, Brian Scudamore, and go to Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, the usual suspects, or O2E Brands. That's letter O, number two, letter E, brands.com. So ordinary to exceptional. And yeah, love what I'm doing. Love helping other entrepreneurs. Send me a note someday and uh, let me know if you want that painted picture. Always happy to help. Awesome, Brian. Thank you. This was such an awesome conversation. You have an incredible story. I hope my listeners feel inspired and motivated to become entrepreneurs if if that's what they want to do. And um, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Awesome. Thanks, Holly. I appreciate it. A lot of fun. Thanks for listening to Young and Profiting Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or comment on YouTube, SoundCloud, or your favorite platform. Reviews make all the hard work worth it. They're the ultimate thank you to me and the Yap team. The other way to support us is by word of mouth. Share this podcast with a friend or family member who may find it valuable. Follow Yap on Instagram at Young and Profiting and check us out at youngandprofiting.com. You can find me on Instagram at Yap with Hala or LinkedIn. Just search for my name, Hala Taha. Until next time, this is Hala signing off.